The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome to the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. I'm Clay Link here with Rotowire.com's lead prospect writer, James Anderson. James, I'm pretty excited for the main event coming up. Uh, you are in a few co-owning with another co-owner, but you and I are going to be co-managing a team. I'm excited for that. I have left KDS up to you. Uh, I, I just left it 1 through 15 in the solo main event that I'm doing. Ended up with number two, so I got lucky there. But any any thoughts on what you want to do with our KDS, uh, which I think runs, what, a day or two from now? I don't know when it runs. Um, I know that maybe one of mine that I'm in uh, might run today, but ours is not um, you know, for over a week. So I'm, uh, Yeah, that's true. I guess it's, I guess it could, I think it could it's run, about a it week. Before. This week. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, KDS, I, I would be happy. I, I think we could do a really good job from any spot, one through fifteen. There's obviously different strategies that would be in play. Uh, 
you know, we're, most of the aces that I think we would feel good about are going to be gone uh, if we have an early pick in the first round. And most of the hitters that we love would be gone if we have a late pick in the first round. So, I mean, I think there are um, good arguments either way. I would like to just take a big swing and, and try to get uh, Acuna or Yelich as a building block personally. So I think I might leave it, uh, leave it the way it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, if you had a strong preference one way or the other, I would not mind at all uh, adjusting it. Yeah. I didn't, I just wanted to have the opportunity to take the player I like the most. And so one through 15 was the way I left it. Um, I do think if you can get Acuna or Yelich or Betts even, you want to go that route because some of the drafts I've seen since drafts started back up, those teams get a pretty nice second and third piece, it seems like. At least in the 12, 15, maybe a little bit more sketchy. But um, I feel like with some of the inflation in certain categories, you're going to end up getting uh, a windfall probably with maybe a really good hitter in the second, maybe a leftover arm in the third. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you can win the win the main event from any of the fifteen spots. Um, there's just it, it's dangerous to say like so and so will be there in the second at, at a certain spot or even the third. Um, I mean, I think the pitchers I love who were there late second, early third, sometimes even in the fourth back in March, are probably all going to be gone in the second. I would imagine, you know the. Obviously, Mike Clevenger started to go in the first in some leagues. Clayton Kershaw, I think he's going to go in the second of the majority of the main events. Um, you know, who, who knows where guys like you, Darvish, and Charlie Morton will go. But, um, I mean, I just think starting pitching is going to get ridiculously priced up. So I, I, see the, I see the case for picking near the turn or, you know, somewhere in that kind of nine to 15 range, just to make sure you get one or two aces there because you, you're probably not getting uh, more than one if you're picking uh, first half of the first round. But, you know, the, the position players that are available there, I mean, you're, you're, you're not going to get Trey Turner if you're picking in the second half of the first round. Uh, you could get another story maybe. Um, but, you know, I think there's a, a decent sized gap between someone like story and someone like Yelich. So, um, I mean, I, I just don't really have a strong opinion at all. I, I'd like to get Acuna on at least one of my main event teams. would love to get Yelich on one. I uh, would love to get Beth. I'd love to get Trey Turner. Uh, we'll see how it all shakes out, but I, I really don't care that much, uh, about KDS. I think that we would be able to attack it pretty well from, from any spot. Yeah. I, I would love to maybe get Kershaw on the second and then another bat in the third and the solo one that I'm doing picking second. Excited to see where we end up. This is the second time we've ever co-owned a team together in the main event and uh should be fun. Some give and some take. And I think with you, you know, I'll, I'll concede that given what I've seen that we're going to probably have to jump into that closer run at some point. Uh, I've been pushing closers down personally just because – the volatility is so crazy. You just don't know what you're getting from really any pitcher in 20 innings, a uh, 20-inning sample, and the the hitters that you're sacrificing there to get your closer, uh, I just think are too good. So I've been personally pushing them down, but I see the market, and it's crazy 
So do you, uh, you know, I'll be kind of willing to concede here or there on, on that end. Do you have a closer in mind that you'd ideally like to get at their cost in our main event? Yeah, you know, it's such a such a crazy such a crazy market on the closer side of things right now, and it's on the surface it just seems absolutely insane. But it is the saves are going to be the scarcest stat by quite a bit, in my opinion. And you're you're going to need them one way or another to compete in the overall. And you know, it's not like there are values like later in the draft at relief pitcher uh maybe there are values with guys who nobody really expects to get saves but even a guy like daniel hudson was was knocking on the top 200 in those first couple of main events you got guys like joe jimenez getting pushed way up um it's but there's not a value anywhere on the board in terms of guys that are getting saves they're all getting overpriced so you have to overpay at some point in the draft to get saves um you know one guy that i like who i i haven't even mentioned to you really because i know that you're uh you like some other guys in that bullpen maybe a little bit but i i really like archie bradley in a in a short season i think the diamondbacks are a really good team i think they're gonna be in a decent amount of close games, win a lot of close games. I don't think he has much competition there, uh, at least in the short term. Uh, and he's a guy that uh, his ADP for the first two main events was 122. I could I could live with that cost on him. Um, you know, That's I don't reasonable. Even... I've fizzled on Ginkle a little bit. Okay. Um, I mean, I was never like over the moon. I guess I did take him somewhat high in that closers and waiting draft that we did a while back. But yeah, I, I actually don't hate that at all. I mean, he's a guy who was very much kind of under the radar. I mean, he's had the job for a couple of years now, but he, uh, nobody really talks about Archie Bradley at all. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> it's tough to, you, you don't want to say this is the closer we're taking because you just can't count on anything, yeah, especially when, when these guys are just flying off the boards. Whenever that closer run starts, I mean, it, it was starting third, fourth round in those first couple mains. So whenever it starts, they're just going to fly off, and you might just have to take someone that you weren't planning on. I mean, I, I think there's, you know, I, I would take guys like uh, Taylor Rogers, but if we had to kind of grin and bear it. And, reach for him inside the top 100 uh hector neris even um i like liam Hendricks yeah. too i mean yeah yeah I mean, robles maybe like 120 ish uh, he'd probably not go in that far maybe like 100 around there for hondo robles I, i'm willing to take the plunge on at least one and the one we're sharing and the one that i'm going to do solo and i'll put my money where my mouth is you'll you'll see but uh i'm going to Maybe I'll get one in the the mid range, but I'm going to pretty much spend that draft capital elsewhere because I feel like that could be where you gain a big edge. Guys spending fourth, six round picks, maybe two picks in the top seven on closers, the hitters and or starting pitchers you're going to get there could be real difference makers and separators from the pack. And I also think, I mean, we don't we don't know, and the, yeah, you have to leave your draft with that uncertainty, and that's scary a little bit, especially with that amount of money on the line. But I think if you can live with that uncertainty and navigate 
fab and kind of be one week ahead of a lot of guys and really put your your focus on the bullpens, you know, if you can get a couple guys, that category is going to be so bunched up. If you get a couple guys in the job who get hot, I mean, that could, if you're looking to win the overall, I think uh, using that draft capital elsewhere and then trying to luck into some saves is the way to go. That that's definitely probably the way to uh, it maybe gives you the highest ceiling if mm-hmm. you just get super. I mean, you have to get really lucky with that strategy, or you um, just have to have a couple of really good spec guys that you feel good about, or get a Ryan Helsley on the cheap, relative cheap anyway. Well, yeah, he's not cheap, but given given his uh, skills and track record, he's not cheap at all. Um, in my opinion, well, Matt uh, Thompson got him in twenty team RDI. Not this past weekend, but the weekend for before for a buck in Fab, like he, and I lamented that on the sure. MLB Network radio show. This was like kicking myself for not looking harder at the player pool and noticing he was available. Like he's not. I mean, I guess uh, among the community we follow on Twitter, he's kind of a wide awake sleeper. But maybe you can get him at a reasonable price. Well, I was just talking about the main event. Okay. Um, I mean, like you know, there, there's. a big difference between a dynasty league and the main event. Where is he going to, to the main event? Um, he, so he went, well, he went 272 and one and he went 334 and the other. Um, yeah, so I guess that's that pretty that nice. Pretty I mean, yeah. um, but I, I honestly, I'm still a little pessimistic on, I, I like, uh, I like Carlos Martinez. Um, I, I like him where he's going because you're still getting value from him if he doesn't get saves. But like if for some, you know, if it got announced say a week from now or five days from now that like actually Carlos Martinez was going to be their closer, he would start going inside the top 100. And right now he's going like 160. Hmm. Um, so I, I kind of like him and I, I still don't, I don't hate like getting Gallegos if if Helsley starts to cruise up uh, boards, um, but there's just so much you know. So say you get Helsley, uh, there's and say you hit on Helsley. Well, there's one closer. You still need another closer hmm. uh, to compete and a third event, probably so. to win the yeah. Ball. I mean, uh, and I I also think so. I I think I mentioned this to you uh, maybe a week or two ago. Like the part of the strategy, part of the strategy you're sort of laying out of, of not paying up for these these top tier closers um, is you're just you're committed to being very aggressive and fab whenever one pops up, um, and I think that that's going to be a philosophy on a lot of these teams, like a lot of these main event teams. Um, you're going to see, I think, the, the fab of paloozas of this season are going to be whenever a closer role turns over. Because I don't think there are going to be many prospects that pop up that went undrafted, especially in the main event, 15-teamer. Um, so it, it will be when a guy loses his closing job or gets hurt, um, whoever is next in line. Like I think the first closer that pops up on waivers in the main event is going to go for over 50% of someone's fab budget. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the, the right way to play it. Um, but then even if you get that guy there's no guarantee that they just sort of go on and have a Liam Hendricks 2019 type of run and hold the job and are, are productive in the job. 
uh, and you're going to have a lot of competition to get that guy in fab. Um, and see, my hope is that know, I'm going to already have that guy rostered after taking like three spec closers in the end game. Obviously, that right, it'll never work out other, that way. But. That's the other aspect too. Is is a lot of the best guys like exactly. you know Michael Michael Lorenzen's going to get drafted. Uh, Corey Canable's going to get drafted. Daniel Hudson's going to get drafted in the mid game. He's not even getting drafted in the end game. Um, so yeah, you're, there's not even a guarantee that whenever the first closer, or a couple closers like. Scott Oberg's getting drafted. Even like Rowan Wick might get drafted. Um, so even even when those closers go down, there's no guarantee that their backups are on waivers. Um, but yeah, if you can land those guys in the end game, that's that's huge. And I think your strategy, uh, kind of another um, reason to to consider going with that strategy, if, especially if you're doing multiple leagues, is that even if you just kind of strike out at closer and you just aren't able to get enough saves to compete in the main event, you could still win your league and you could still get a nice little payday there. Exactly. Um, exactly. So obviously when you join a league like that, you want to play with the overall in mind because a large portion of your entry goes toward the overall pot. But yeah, I think that it gives you a decent floor to win your league, maybe. At least be competitive in your league. And who knows, you catch a couple lucky breaks and you could be in that mix. I think if you do get a guy like Hudson, yeah, you have to pay up more now than you did before. You know, you talk about a, you know Carlos Martinez jumping up. If, say, Sean Doolittle, who has expressed some uncertainty, he opts out. I mean, Hudson goes, yeah, he doesn't have a great track record, but he probably goes like 120. So another guy I really like is a spec player. I like Tyler Rogers too in San Fran. I have a sneaky feeling he's going to be the guy. Uh, very atypical for a closer that skill set, but uh, submariner and a lot of success. So I kind of like Tyler Rogers. Um, I don't know. I just feel like that's the way to go because who knows? You could. I just think in twenty innings, uh. You know, who knows what you're getting, and that's just not enough to warrant that draft pick. I see some of these guys going; it's crazy to me. And I, you've said it before too. Like one bad outing could skew your ratios to the point where they're like a negative earner, even if they are getting saves. Like, say a guy has a couple bad outings and he finishes with an eight ERA, but like seven saves. I mean, I guess over that small of a sample, you're not doing a ton of damage, but that's still a guy who you're wiping away a lot of the value from those saves. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. And I, I, you know, I will say me. this, like for, for, for our main event league, like I'm not, we're not going to go in with any sort of need to get a closer by round X uh, type of strategy. I don't think, I think we have to go in being flexible and there will come a time probably where we're mid round and we're hoping a closer gets to us and we'll take them if they do. But if they don't, I don't necessarily think the right move is to panic and take uh, dip down and, and get another guy at, at a spot where we're, we're not really comfortable. You know I mean? I think they're, there's definitely ways you can piece together enough saves without using a pick in the first uh, nine or ten rounds on a closer. Yeah, uh, I, but I just I, keep thinking about how that category is going to look at the end. Like the leader has what thirty saves, and the next, you know, then it's like twenty-eight. 20, you know, so many guys going to be in that twenty-two to thirty range. 
I just think it's it's going to be one of the most fun and nerve wracking aspects of this sixty game season. Just every time one of your main event closers is, you know, maybe their team is trying to protect the one run lead and get it to the closer in the ninth, or you know, trying to the closer trying to get out of a jam to, to secure the save. It's going to be so nerve wracking every single night because those saves are just going to be so such a scarce commodity. Every week when you get a handful of saves, it's just going to be such a huge win. Um, because you like, get those unlike, from guys that you got on the cheap, I mean, that thrill is going to be uh, like an adrenaline rush if it happens. Yeah. I get and that there, it's not either, a lockdown. There's a big difference between closers, though, and speedsters or, or saves and steals to me because there are still over five guys who – I think are values at their ADP who I think could get eight or nine steals. And that's just not true at all. That's when it comes to saves, every single guy who I think could get five plus saves is getting drafted at a spot where in a vacuum, it's just a complete overpay. Um, And I actually think that maybe points towards being willing in, in certain circumstances to pay up for, for those saves just because of how you, you can't get a guy in like round nine where you're like, yeah, man, I don't know why he's not going higher, but I'll, I'll take him here. There, there's no such, there's no equivalent uh, of that on the save side uh, where there is on the speed side. So I think. Yeah. I see uh, Helsley is kind of fitting that mold, but I hear you. I, I get what you're saying. Like you just, yeah. you don't feel confident anyway. Like who knows some of those guys, and the end game could be huge bargains, but you're just going, you know, leaving your draft. You don't feel good about them, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, they, there's no such thing as like, like I guess I, I misspoke earlier when I said Helsley's like getting overdrafted. I mean, pick 300, whatever. I mean, if he if he gets saves, that's not an overdraft at all. But I just don't feel that confident in a guy like that. Yeah. I hear you. It is definitely going to be scary to leave the table with, and I do want to kind of, if I anticipate a run, maybe just some not left out in the cold, maybe I do get a Liam Hendricks or a Hansel Robles, someone like that a little earlier before I get to the Hudson's, Helsley spec types. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, I'm very excited, and we will talk some prospects on the show, but before we do that, Talk about the main event and our upcoming drafts. And do you think there's a shakeup coming in the first few rounds on the starting pitching side in light of what we saw with Jacob deGrom leaving yesterday's intra-squad game with back tightness, only made it one inning? Yeah. I, I'm So I'm doing my beat James Anderson league tonight, and that's a 12-teamer. And I'm picking eighth. And I was strongly considering DeGrom uh, if he'd been there um, prior to that news at eight. Um, that's I think that's like exactly his ADP um, in, the, in the online championship. So that, that very well could have happened. Now I, I'm not taking him there. And until we get further word on him, I've bumped him down behind guys like Clevenger, Kershaw, Bieber, Verlander. Um, I just – you know, you have to think each with each starting pitcher. You kind of have to think about it in two ways. Like, so there's there's twelve starts theoretically, maybe thirteen, um, but but probably twelve possible starts for each guy. 
And so DeGrom is now at risk of not making his 12. I mean, certainly any pitcher could not make his 12, but he's the one that we know of an injury about already. So he might not make his 12. And then there's also what percentage of those 12 is the pitcher going to go long enough to qualify for the win. And so even if he makes his 12, he's now in danger of, at least in that first start, not going long enough to qualify for that win. Uh, to me, that's just that information right there is enough to move him behind um, the other true aces in my mind because we just have this information on him now. Like We, we have to look at it and say, yeah, he's, he's just not as safe a bet as the healthy guys who maybe on a per-start basis we'd like to grom a little bit more, but it's still 12 starts. I mean, a lot can happen. Uh, a lot of noise can be in those 12 starts. So I'm, I'm moving him out of the first round until we, we get um, some more positive news. Yeah, and I'm wondering, do you still consider Walker Bueller in that tier, like oh, the, the elite of the elite? Because Dave Roberts said Tuesday Bueller a little behind the other guys, but once the season starts, whatever he gives us will be sufficient. So expanded rosters, with that quote, I would think that they're not really like counting on him to go five-plus right away. Yeah, I, I'm bumping Bueller to early second round, I think, for now. Um, that first start, I think it's against the Giants, right? Uh, or his first start would have been against the Giants. Um, I do have projected starters in, so I could look sure. that up. Um, but, like, you know, even if he's only able to go, like, 75 pitches or 70 pitches in that first start, he could still maybe go long enough to qualify for the win against the Giants. Uh, so, so I mean, that's versus not versus not safe. downgrading him as much as I'm downgrading Degrom because uh, it seems like Bueller's healthy. He's just a little bit behind, but yeah, I, I wouldn't take either either of those guys in the first round anymore. And if guys are dropping, that means guys are moving up. And yeah, I I think to me, Clevenger, Kershaw, Bieber, Verlander, Scherzer, Cole are probably all, uh, if not first-rounders, borderline first-rounders in the main event now. Um, just, it's crazy. I mean, this happens every year when, when we're talking about the main event because it drafts so close to the start of the year and you start hearing about uh, which pitchers are, you know, back in March when we were about to draft, it was Verlander and Scherzer were moving down. And now it's Bueller and DeGrom are moving down. And so guys are moving up uh, behind them. So, it's just, it's going to be wild on the Aces front. And it's, uh, I think it definitely impacts, you know, if, if you care about getting two just bona fide Aces, I think there is uh, something to be said for maybe picking at the turn or picking maybe in like the 12 hole or something like that, uh, because they're probably not going to be there. Like Kershaw, I, I hope he falls to you uh, in the second round of your main event draft where you're picking second, but I, I highly doubt it at this point. Yeah, I think Vlad Sedler, who's in that solo main I'm doing, I think he said his KDS to have a 12th pick. I think that was his number two choice, he said, something like that. Four, uh, I think maybe, he got 14th, and that was his first pick. Oh, wow, okay. So, yeah, he's, I have a feeling he may be looking something like that, or at least getting one of those aces. I put money on that. Um, by the way, I, before we move on to the next news item I want to talk about, I just want to give a shout out to our news guys. Like With the short season, so much uncertainty, following the news every day, so important, and you guys have been crushing it. You, Adam Wolf, Eric Halterman, 
Evan Haig, Jason Shabilsky, and others. I mean, just crushing it. I think the news is as good as ever. So definitely check that out, rotowire.com slash pod for a 10-day trial. I think if you read the news notes every day, you'll be in a pretty good spot and have a leg up. At least you'll be aware of the uncertainty regarding some of these players. James, I'm wondering how you're handling the Byron Buxton news, the latest uh, injury on his part, foot injury. I know you were on him again this year, but uh, Rocco Baldelli leaving open the possibility he's not there on opening day. They said there's hope, a good amount of hope, that he will be ready, but what do you think? Is this a... Does this downgrade Buxton to a significant extent? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I was more so, you know, I wasn't crying when I heard the news, but um, I'm I'm typically not that emotional when it comes to sports. But you know, I, I it was a moment where I was just very saddened, and it had nothing to do with fantasy because I actually don't have any Byron Buxton in redraft because I, I took Lorenzo Cain over him in every single draft because of the durability concerns. Uh, so, you know, I, I wasn't crushed in that regard, but I'm just crushed kind of for the guy that he just keeps um, getting hurt. And I just, it just really bums me out uh, because I do believe in his talent when he's healthy. And so it's just, uh, there's nothing worse than the sort of like I told you so guys when it's just really devastating, sad injuries for a guy and his career. Um, the, the victory laps on, on uh, injury guys when it's not, you know, it's not something like Luis Severino or Chris Sale where it's like we know that there's they're, they're pitching with a, an arm that's not 100%. It's just a guy who's fully healthy and just keeps having these things, these sort of freak things happen. It's just really sad to me. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think very encouraging news. Whenever a guy leaves on a stretcher, you expect – or on a cart, you expect them to miss a decent amount of time. And I wouldn't necessarily take the Twins at face value when they say that he could be ready for open day. I would probably still expect him to open on the 10 day IL, especially given his track record. But, um, you know, I, I think he's now kind of a borderline top 200 pick. Um, definitely some risk there, definitely some upside. But, you know, you and I harp on this pod all the time that you don't want to intentionally draft injured players when you can help it, especially not in the early to mid rounds. And so I, I definitely would not uh, be using a, a premium pick on him anymore. I mean, if he falls far enough and you're hurting for speed, I, I would probably say the risk is worth the reward at a certain point. But yeah, I mean, he was going um, in the, in those first two main events. Um, I want to say he was going he went 127 and one, 140 in the other. I would, I would drop him at least uh, four or five rounds from there. Yeah, I'm with you there. He's kind of in that glut of uh, outfielders who just, you know, maybe in the uh, Sam Hilliard range. I mean, they weren't that far apart before, but um, yeah, like, like that uh, spec outfielder range. I, I'm kind of thinking I'll probably avoid him, but let's. Uh, Let's talk about some prospects because Jared Kelnick, Kyle Lewis, I guess Kyle Lewis, not technically a prospect anymore, but uh, definitely worth noting. It seems like every day on Twitter I see them going yard. 
Now, they are just playing against their teammates, so you have to take that into account. Uh, the Mariners pitching staff, not the greatest, but um, it seems like Kelnick, I know they're trying to pump the brakes, but it's hard to imagine, or at least it's going to be hard for them to justify not having him on the roster at some point. Yeah, uh, well, Lewis is still prospect eligible. Oh, is he? For what it's worth. I didn't um, know that. Sorry. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think these two are sort of fascinating. Uh, I do think it's – it's. I get a kick every time, like, anyone's, like, freaking out about either guy on Twitter. I'm still sitting there saying, like, well, yeah, it's the Mariners. I mean, they get to face these same terrible Mariners pitchers every day in camp. Um I wonder how they'd be doing if they were facing uh, a team with a good good staff. But uh, nonetheless, you know, Kalanick is a guy that I'm going to move up. I'm going to be doing a ranking the rookies 4.0 because enough has changed since uh, the 3.0 that went up last week. And even though beat writers, like the best beat writer report you'll hear regarding Kalanick is they haven't closed the door on it. Uh, you're not going to see any reports out there. At least I haven't seen any reports where they're really kind of entertaining it. Mm-hmm. But I think we have to just be like, we can't be prisoners to the beat reporting in certain cases, especially when Kalanick was, you know, if you, if you go look at main event ADP on just those two, those first two drafts, he is the very last guy on the ADP sheet, which means that he only went in one of the two mains, I believe, and he was a last-round pick in the one that he did go. And so to me, at that point, I kind of – I think it's worth it. Because um, you're not – you know, you're not having to pay – like, for instance, Joe Adele is going inside the top 300. Um, you're not having to pay that on, on Kalanick. You can get him still really late and – He's probably their best hitter right now. And so at a certain point, it it would be kind of weird if you broke camp without your best hitter uh, on purpose and he was healthy. I'm not saying that Koenig's going to break camp, but I mean, I I don't think we can just assume that the beat reporters are right and that he's not going to be up this year, uh, just given what he's doing. And then with Kyle Lewis, I... I'm not in love with him as a prospect, as you can probably see from my top 400, but I'm also preaching playing time this year, and he's going to play every day, and there's obviously power there. There's a little bit of speed. I think he looks in, in pretty good shape. He's, he's seen the ball well. So he's not going inside the top 300 either uh, in those first two mains. That, that probably will change a little bit as we get closer to our main event draft, but I don't see much downside at either of these guys' costs right now, even if uh, there are reasons to be a little bit pessimistic. Yeah, you know I was on Kelnick back in March, and I was thinking <laughs> maybe I'd probably drop him in all the leagues I drafted him in, TGFBI, Labor as well. But now I'll probably have to hold on and just play the waiting game. You know that'll end up burning me. I'll, I'll wait on him for too long, get nothing out of him, and miss on some nice pickup or something. But... Uh, I just don't think I'll be able to bring myself to drop Kelnick in the leagues I already drafted him, and maybe, maybe I'll have to dabble back in in the main we're doing. I'd I'd love to get him with a, one of our last round picks just to see what happens. Lewis, you know the plate skills, the insanely high walk rate. I think it was what close to thirty five percent last year. 
uh, K rate. K rate, yeah, and then the walk rate was around what five percent or lower, and that just leaves open so much downside. I feel like a guy like that could you know start in a valley. Maybe he gets to a peak at some point, but maybe like a long slump. Like I, when you have those kind of plate skills, leaves you open to a long slump, and that that worries me to roster any player with like Kyle Lewis this year. Uh, but James, yeah, you know, I, go ahead. I, I, well, I I. I get that, and and I I doubt that I'm going to end up with him on any of my teams. I'm just not that high on him. I mean, there are people that are pumping him up on Twitter and stuff. Um, but it's Impressive just he's power so cheap. Camp, yeah, he's he's so cheap though. It's like I, yeah. I don't hard to like, get an Kyle everyday Lewis, player at that stage. Kyle Lewis is going to get more plate appearances this year than Sam Hilliard. That's just a fact. Mm-hmm. Like unless unless Kyle Lewis gets hurt, like there's just no way Sam Hilliard gets more plate appearances than Kyle Lewis. They already said. Randall Tapia is going to be an everyday player to start off the season. So, like, there are guys going in front of Kyle Lewis who have nowhere near the job security he has. And even if they're better players, we don't have a long enough season here to play the waiting game with guys. So, um, the other thing I wanted to mention, like, in addition to the Mariners, like, hitting off Mariners pitching isn't all that impressive. I saw an interesting quote from uh, Pedro Stroke um, where he was – saying and not related to the Mariners guys obviously but like he doesn't think he's been a very effective during summer camp because he doesn't want to throw inside on his teammates and that that was just something I mean kind of an obvious thing but like just something to consider when you're when you're seeing hitters go off or maybe pitchers struggle you you might see certain pitchers pitching differently to their teammates than they would to an opposing player because you definitely don't want to be the guy that, that breaks a teammate's hand if, if a ball gets away from you inside. Um, so it's just something to consider. Like, I, obviously, we all know that we're all overreacting to everything we see in these uh, inter-squad matches and stuff like that. But um, just another aspect to consider when you're kind of evaluating guys just based on what they're doing against their teammates. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, you see these things, it's like, well, it's inter-squad, don't get carried away. But that's just another layer to add on top. Yeah, they're probably pitching them differently, maybe quite a bit differently than they would just a, a regular opponent. James, by the way, I saw Chris Liss in his main event. He got Forrest Whitley, and he credited you in his write-up for you know your advice, giving him the tip here. You've been you know kind of the Whitley supporter for a long time, and I know they've got several COVID cases in that rotation, right? At least Arcidi, I know. Um, so is that kind of the reason behind Whitley gaining some hype again, or is there something else? Uh, well, he's looked really good in these tiny little samples. Like, I mean, we're not even talking inter like, well, he actually, he did pitch an inning. I think it was last night. Um, kind of, I think he had a scoreless inning, struck out a batter. Um, but he also looked really, really good in a live BP about a week ago. Uh, he's, really confident I, I saw pitching coach brent strom say that Whitley looks like a future star um so if you're following houston camp closely whitley has been the standout now he's not on the 40-man roster i think they have other guys framber valdez maybe even christian javier who could fill into the rotation if needed uh, especially early in the season but I just think 
you know, Whitley is now, he's a guy that I'm, I'm willing to take a, a flyer on late in drafts just because, uh, and, and honestly, let's talk about Joe Adele here too. I, I think Whitley and Adele to me are kind of in the exact same boat where they're just so talented that, you know, a couple weeks ago, I would have said highly unlikely that either of them, uh, provides a ton of fantasy value this season. I think Adele was probably always going to see some time, but I just didn't think he was going to be ready to, to make a big impact, but he's having a really good camp too. And when we're talking about guys like Forrest Whitley and Joe Adele, extremely talented young players, uh, the kind of the Fernando Tatis Jr. rule applies where even if just on paper, it doesn't seem like they would be ready when guys that are that talented put it together it just comes together in such a hurry that they can really uh take off and, and exceed expectations and so i think you know forrest whitley is going to have another chance to throw uh in a competitive setting here um before the start of the season if he continues to look really good and then kind of continues to build up uh in their satellite camp i wouldn't rule out him coming up for maybe the final six starts of the season and really shoving uh, because he is that talented. He does have, in my opinion, the best arsenal of any pitching prospect in the game. And it, it takes a lot, uh, it takes longer with the, these tall guys. Um, you know, he's, a, he's about as tall as Tyler glass now. Uh, but while glass now has two 70 grade pitches, Whitley might end up with three or four 70 grade pitches. So, um, just the, the type of upside he brings to the table is tough to ignore, especially when things are going well, which they are right now. Yeah, that's interesting. I was thinking maybe he'd be kind of a tough sell in the league we're doing together because that's probably the range where I want to get into the some of the spec closer options. But if he makes six starts, like you think is a possibility, that would that could be a, a needle mover for Whitley, assuming he's able to go deep enough in the starts. To get wins, uh, we'll see. I, I'm not going to have any problem if we uh, if we get Sandy Alcantara again. Keep your Sandy streak alive. I know that streak yeah. came to an end. It's not a hundred percent, but we can keep it what above ninety five percent or so. I mean, we got to aim to keep it as as high as possible. I think. Um, I saw your retweet uh, of Craig Mish. <laughs> <twice. laughs> yeah. There, oh man, the amount of hyperbole coming out of it. So, you know, I mentioned that Brent Strom quote about Forrest Whitley looking like a future star. I was like, yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I like the cut of your jib, Brent Strom. And then I read a different article where he said Brian Abreu uh, has the potential to be a number one starter for a really good team down the road. And I was like, oh, so Brent, Brent Strom just. He, he's, he's a hype the man. Phrasing is, yeah, he's a hype man. Uh, yeah, he's and, uh, also a hype man saying that. Sandy Alcantara has the best stuff, or has as good a stuff as anyone in baseball. Uh, I think he's got amazing twice. stuff. Yeah, he said, he said anyone twice. He had to reiterate that he, he meant anyone. Uh, I don't think Sandy Alcantara has better stuff than Garrett Cole, for instance. Uh, mm. But I do think Sandy Alcantara is a value after pick 200. Yeah, he uh, showed some very encouraging signs and threw a lot of innings last year, and he's named the opening day starter, so... Yeah, I, I would love to get Sandy if we can get him. I'm sure, well, it usually never works this way, but there may be somebody in our draft who knows your love and ends up sniping us. 
but we'll see. You also have your online championship beat James Anderson. You mentioned you said you're picking eighth. When is that again? That is tonight. Oh, so it's tonight. Um, and I don't mind uh, t- talking about my strategy, at least for the first few rounds, because in order for someone from that league to know about my strategy, they're going to have about, I don't know, four or five hours to listen to this before the draft starts. And I don't really care either way. Uh, but I'm, I'm picking eight. And I set my KDS 1 through 15 and got the eighth spot. So, I mean, that shows you how uh, KDS can go sometimes. But um, I think I want to go Trey Turner, Jose Ramirez at eight, and then go pitcher in the second, uh, probably Clevenger, Kershaw in the second. Uh, doubt Clevenger will be there, but uh, definitely top Kershaw if he's not. And then. Uh, pick 32, I think I can probably get one of Albies, Baez, or Mondesi. And then pick 41, I think I can get one of Darvish or Charlie Morton. What do you think about that uh, theoretical start? Hitter, pitcher, hitter, pitcher. Sounds pretty good to me. I uh, I like that. I've been kind of souring on the idea of taking Baez, though. I don't know why it is. I still have him like... You know, early third round in a fifteen-team league, but running, you know, his efficiency waned, and I just worry about Baez really being a great pick there. But I don't know. I I have to get over that mental hurdle. Just I see some of the things, and I yeah. I mean, it's I know he's always hit for a high average, but I always think like with those plate skills, he's going to have a year where he hits, you know, well below expectations. I just think he's really good, and he's really. I mean, I, he's no Ian Happ, but he's all right. <laughs> he's not like, yeah, I mean, he's not going to steal nine or 10 bases, but I think he could steal five or six and I think he could hit double digit homers. And I don't know. I mean, I just, I think he's a nice, not true power speed because, like you said, the speed's not quite where it used to be. But um, I'd prefer to have Albies. Like, I, I'd, I'd rather get Albies there um, in part because I, I, you know, I like uh, so many short stops in the mid range that I wouldn't want to not be able to take someone just because I, I took a guy like Baez over Albies. But um, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm not tied to taking Baez there, but I think uh, just those two, those that combination of hitters, I think that gets me up to around 15 steals and around 15 to 18 home runs, which is the type of power speed base i'm looking to start with yeah i'm thinking right now if push came to shove chasing that overall i may take uh mondesi over him right now i probably should adjust my rankings to reflect that right now but um good luck james i look forward to hopefully following along on twitter i don't expect you to tweet every pick but i look forward to seeing some of them uh tonight good luck uh don't uh, don't time out in, in your second round <laughs> <laughs> Well, dude, I already playing. set. I already set up a queue. I already set up oh, a. Nice. See, that's the thing. Nice, you got to do it. Nice deep queue. Uh, a deep queue, probably into the forties or fifties. So I if I time out, at least it won't be in the uh, second round, like uh, my infamous uh, blunder in, in last year's. Corey, Corey Kluver, was it? 
Uh, we've all it been was there. Corey Kluber, and it was Corey Kluber, but thankfully it was Corey Kluber over Blake Snell, who, you know, Blake <laughs> yeah. Snell had just stayed healthy all season. I would I would still hate myself immensely for that, but thankfully Blake Snell didn't do a ton either. Absolutely, man. Well, uh, by the way, I picked up TJ Antone. I don't know if that's um, – I saw that. I yeah. never seen him on your prospect list. I don't know if he's there or not. I just saw one C Trent tweet about him. Anything you could tell me positive? Forget the negatives about TJ Anton. Antone, I have no idea. Uh, I think he has a. I think he has a chance to be a, a big leaguer. How about that? <laughs> That's good to hear. <laughs> I just needed to drop Anthony K. So, uh, yeah. you know, whatever. I, I was. You'll, you'll be you'll be churning that spot. Yeah, I'll be churning that spot. I was so mad that I missed Ryan Helsley in that league the week before. I had to at least throw some bids in. Got Tyler Rogers, whatever. Uh, but I'm mad mad that I let Helsley slip through. That's a lesson, and always do your fab. Always take the time. Don't skip a week because you never know who could sneak through. Uh, James, final picks of the hip hop draft. Kind of sad to see it come to an end, but we'll have to get something up and running. And I want to say that I'm proud. The work you and I both both done cultivating this playlist because I was listening to it on Spotify and it it's really a an all timer. Oh hell yeah, nice. Um, yeah, if, and people sometimes will tweet at me asking like where to find the playlist. Honestly, if you just search Prospect Podcast, you'll you'll find those uh, those playlists that Andrew has put you know, together. I was having some trouble finding it too, but I did search. I just searched your handle and then playlist on Twitter. Oh, and that was another, another way to do it. Um, so who's uh, who's picking first this week? Is it me? I am. I am. Okay. Uh, and I just have to fill. I have to fill my produce my second producer spot. I assume um, we both just had the Midwest spot to fill. Who do you fill that with? I don't have the sheet open. Uh, Kanye West. Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I honestly didn't remember. That. <laughs> um, good to point um, that out. <laughs> I don't regret it, but I also am not. Um, <laughs> all right, so I, I took uh, I took Pharrell Williams here, my my second to my second producer spot. Um, I think there's a there's a big drop off to me after after RZA, Dre, Premier. Uh, I don't think Pharrell's in that class, but I do think he is the best talent remaining and you know he a lot of his production has been for the radio you know he doesn't even really stick in hip-hop he's done some stuff for some pop artists as well but i think he has shown what his talent level is when he does uh do beats for for hip-hop artists um i mean you look at like the clips first album um, you know, some stuff for Jay-Z, some stuff for uh, Snoop Dogg, uh, Noriega. Obviously, a, a lot of this stuff was with Chad Hugo as part of the Neptunes, but we haven't done a single group, so I figured I might as well just pick one individual guy. Um, I think Pharrell is really talented. I think he's a good hook man. And I'm going to pick uh, Grindin' by The Clips as the beat for Pharrell. That's a good one. That's a good one. You know, the song Frontin's kind of an inside joke among some of my friends from way back, but I, I actually like that song. Still bumps. Uh, and really, he doesn't have, at least from what I've heard, he doesn't have like, bad beats, rarely ever. No. Some of them are a little, you know, commercially 
yeah. and kind of just poppy, but I, I still do like Pharrell, and that's a nice pick. For my Midwest spot, I've debated a few guys. I thought about Cuckoo Cal, perhaps, but a very short-lived career. I also had to give some consideration to Eminem, but can't, can't do it, James. I, his stuff does not hold up <laughs> at all. And I did have my Eminem phase in middle school, but uh, thankfully turned that chapter. I'm going to go ahead and take Crazy Bone Ooh. from Cleveland. Uh, best member of, the, of Bone Thugs, I'd argue. East 1999 Eternal is an all-time classic, one of my favorites, Art of War. But also his solo debut, Thug Mentality 99, really underrated. And he was really the backbone for for bone no pun intended but uh you know busy was kind of all over the place flesh was in jail and crazy held it down and bone really carved out a pretty nice spot for themselves in in hip-hop history so i'm gonna go crazy bone in the song the war is on featuring snoop corrupt and lazy bone so uh, i recommend checking out some crazy solo work if you haven't yet and Thug Mentality 99, really the, the place to start. Nice. Uh, I didn't think a ton about who you were going to take here, but if I had spent even just three or four minutes thinking about it, I think I probably would have guessed that that was uh, the direction you were going to go. So I like crazy, man. I, I I haven't heard much from him in years, but I still have a really soft spot in my heart for, for Bone Thugs. You know, my, my wife saw Bone Thugs when they came to Madison a few years ago. And they, yeah, I think they played, they played uh, the entire East 99 album from front to back. I'm oh, sure. so good. I actually still remember my brother having the the tape, the little tape for just for the first of the month single, and he had that for many years. And I just remember the cover kind of having cool art design, and first of the month was one of my all-timers back then. Crossroads, too. Like, that, that whole era... And then do, them doing stuff with uh, Tupac and Biggie, like they were kind of the bridge for uh, during that kind of East Coast West Coast war. Like they provided a little bit of a olive branch, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. They uh, they got to do. I mean, I think if you just said like if you had to name someone that did an amazing song with Tupac and an amazing song with Biggie. I think it's pretty much down to Method Man or Bone Thugs for for who. Uh, did the better uh, crossover uh, feature there. Yeah, and like the Crossroads video is still iconic, them like zapping their uncle or what, I don't know, but um, that some of those videos are iconic. The green screen background on first of the month where they're driving around, uh, just really good stuff. And I, I think about, too, you know, some of the features that they've been on and also uh, – Busy Bones, Thugs Cry, of course, we're take on Doves Cry, but uh, that's a really good one, too. But, James, good stuff. We're going to have to post the results of this draft and get a poll going at some point, but we'll do that maybe next week. Great to talk with you. Anything else you want to mention? Uh, no, just be on the lookout for uh, Ranking the Rookies 4.0. That'll probably be up uh, Thursday or Friday in advance of your weekend drafts, but uh Really excited to be back into full-on draft mode, and uh, best of luck to everyone with their drafts this weekend. Yeah, good luck to you tonight, James, and we'll be – I can't wait for the main event uh, a little over a week away, so that should be a lot of fun. The one we're co-owning, a 
keep you up to date with what I do in my solo one coming up. I think that's on the 19th. Is that Sunday? It's going to be crazy next week or so, James. Looking forward to it. Hope you'll all join us next week on the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.